please open your Bibles to John chapter 5, verses 17 to 24. If you're using the Pew Bible, you will find the reading at page 890. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, that you may, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. God, I am depending upon you to add your blessing to not only the reading, but also the preaching of your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two things that the Holy Spirit wants us to do as a result of our examination of this passage. First of all, the Holy Spirit wants us to marvel at the Son of God. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, that you may marvel. And so the Holy Spirit wants us to marvel at the Son of God. Secondly, the Holy Spirit wants us to honor the Son of God. Look at verses 22 and 23. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So, you should have the expectation this morning that you will marvel and honor the Son of God as a result of sitting under the preaching of this portion of God's Holy Word. If you do not marvel and honor uh, Jesus Christ, then maybe I haven't done my job as a preacher. Maybe you have not done your job as a receiver of the Word, or maybe a combination of both. Um, I recognize I'm raising your expectations this morning by telling you that you should marvel and, and honor the Son of God. Sinfully, I'd rather keep your expectations low <laughs> uh, so that I might be able to at least meet them or maybe even by some uh, miracle exceed them. 
but God wants our expectations to be high because it was His intention, uh, Christ's intention in speaking uh, in this passage that we might marvel, that we might honor Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you have low expectations of your own. Maybe you're thinking, this sermon will do as much for me as as, uh, me going home and watching my grass grow. Allow me to encourage you that God can, He absolutely can cause you to marvel at at His Son in spite of the weakness of my preaching. My encouragement comes to you from the audience that Jesus was speaking to. Uh, He was speaking to Jews that hated Him, you remember? Uh, Look at verse 18. Verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him because He was not only... Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. And... Um, if they are, if, if this is, if they are looking to kill him and they hate him, and yet Christ is expecting them to marvel at him and to honor him, well, shouldn't we have that same expectations of ourselves, especially as we are people who are not aiming to hate Christ or kill Him, but to love and honor Him. The first way that God causes us to marvel uh, is by revealing to us the unity of the Godhead. Uh, So He says in verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. You see the perfect harmony between God the Father and God the Son? This harmony extends to the entire Trinity. From eternity past... God has, has dwelt in perfect harmony with Himself. There was an eternity of time before God created this world, before God created the universe, before God created the angels in heaven itself. There was an eternity, of, um, an eternity past where only God existed. The triune God existed from eternity past. No heaven, no angels, no space and time, no universe, just God. And He was perfectly happy, perfectly content with the fellowship that He was having with Himself. The three persons of the Trinity dwelt in perfect harmony and happiness. And again, I mentioned this last week, I'll mention it again. There's only one God. Three persons in the Godhead. And there's no way for us to fully understand that. 
and God God is bigger than we are. Uh, rationally speaking, logically speaking, there should be things about God because He is so much bigger than we are that we just simply cannot understand. From eternity past, God had planned to create a heaven full of angels. He had planned to create a universe which included our earth. He had planned to create all creatures which dwell upon the earth. But it was not because God was lonely or had grown bored that He created. He chose to create simply because it was His good, perfect, sovereign pleasure. You will remember from the previous two weeks that Jesus had healed a paralytic uh, that was lying beside a pool. Instead of marveling, the Jews became angry at Jesus. And they became angry because Jesus is working on the Sabbath. He performed a miracle on the Sabbath. And not only that, but this man that He had healed, this man who had been a paralytic for 38 years, Jesus had the audacity to tell him, take up your mat and walk. In other words, Jesus told this man to work. And so the Jews became angry. Jesus answered them in verse 17. We looked at it last week. My Father is working until now, and I am working. What does Jesus mean? Let's dig into that just a little bit. Let me help you understand exactly what Jesus is saying here in verse 17 by asking this question. What did God do on the seventh day of creation? I'm I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. Real quietly. He rested. Exactly. Well, what did man do on the eighth day? Well, we don't really know what man did on the eighth day. Uh, We don't know whether man sinned immediately uh, after his creation or whether it was a year, whether it was scores of years. We don't know. But the next thing recorded after the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 is the fall of man. God rested But then man fell. So what did God do? Did He continue to rest? No, He responded. God began working. And this is what Jesus is referring to in verse 17. Ever since Adam and Eve separated themselves from God by their sin, God has been working for man's salvation. God did everything necessary for your salvation. And so, how do we receive salvation? We don't receive salvation by working. The irony of ironies. We receive salvation by resting. By resting in what God has done for us. And so our, our salvation is not an, a work on our part. Our salvation is a joint effort, if I may put it like that, by the members of the Trinity. God so loved sinners that He sent His beloved Son. And Jesus so loved sinners 
that he eagerly left heaven. And for the joy set before him, the book of Hebrews says, he endured the cross, became sin for sinners, died in our place as our perfect substitute. And then the Holy Spirit draws us to the Lord Jesus. Our salvation is a Trinitarian salvation. It is so mind-boggling to me that we as human beings try and make our salvation part of something that we do. No. God did it all. We rest in Him and what He has done for us. Our salvation was secured for us by the perfectly unified work of the triune God. I'm going to pause and make a couple of applications before we move on to the rest of this passage. First application is that um, unity of purpose or unity of fellowship, these are very difficult concepts for us to put into practice. We live in a broken world. There's very little harmony in our world. Unity is a precious, rare occurrence. What are are the strongest relationships we have in life? The relationships between a husband and wife. The relationships between parents and children. But even in a good, strong marriage, even in a very solid family, it takes a lot of work. And it takes even more forgiveness in order to achieve harmony. And even then, harmony is temporarily disrupted by a good argument from time to time. Am I right? (laughs) And yet, within the Godhead, there has been, from eternity past and continuing on to eternity future, perfect unity and harmony between the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's a key element of unity and harmony that we are going to see here in our passage that is so distasteful to uh, to our culture that we'd rather live in turmoil and disharmony and disunity as a culture rather than practice this vital key to unity. This key element that I'm speaking of is the element of mutual submission. We don't like to submit to each other because it means giving up some of our rights and our control. But we see here in our passage that the persons of the Trinity are mutually submitting to each other. It's not just the Son submitting to the Father. We see the Father submitting to the Son. Uh, The Son is following the Father's lead in verse 19. He says, even I can do nothing, or the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And then in verse 22, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And so, what then is the Father's role? Well, the Father comes is, is in step with the Son's judgment. That all may honor the Son, verse 23, just as they honor 
the Father. And so the Father is keeping in step, mutually submitting to the Son's judgment. Beautiful harmony from all eternity flowing out of this mutual submission. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit does what the Father and the Son uh, carries out their charge, applies the work of the Son, carries out the Father's plans. Are you marveling yet? This is what God wants us to do in response to this passage. And not only are we to marvel at the unity of the Godhead, we're also to marvel at the work of the Father and the Son in our behalf. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He is doing, and greater works than these will He show Him so that you may marvel. What are these greater works? Well, these are the works that the Father and the Son are doing in our behalf. And He gives an example of these greater works in verse 21. Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. This is quite a statement. I marvel that Jesus had the boldness to make this statement. The Jews are already ready to kill Him because He he said that He shared the Father's work. Now He is saying that He raises the dead according to His sovereign choice. So also, verse 21, the Son gives life to whom He will. The Jews readily accepted that, that the Father raises people from the dead, but now Jesus is claiming to do likewise. Can you? I think you could probably picture the face of the Jews as Jesus is saying this. You can probably picture the emotions that are beginning to well up within them. And we'll see in verses 25 through 29 exactly what Jesus means by raising the dead, but we'll see that next week. I'll just let you know now, without looking at verses 25 through 29, that Jesus is speaking of a spiritual resurrection from spiritual death. Now, since Jesus aligns physical resurrection, what the Father does in verse 21, with spiritual resurrection, with what the Son does, I think it will be helpful for us to do likewise. Death is the great certainty in our life. Um, Only if we happen to be part of that privileged generation that is alive when Jesus physically returns to gather His church uh, will any of us escape death. Uh, so it behooves us to consider the physical, or to consider physical death and physical resurrection, since this is going to be something that, presumably, uh, we are all going to face one day. Uh, so, what will death be like? Well, for everyone who is safely in Christ, death is simply a transition to something that's better. When you close your eyes in death you will immediately open them in life. You will immediately go into God's presence. Uh, There is no concept of soul sleep. There is no 
uh, sins that need to be purged. Uh, you do not sprout wings and become an angel. Um, you, your soul goes immediately into God's presence. For 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 a Christian, death is a friend, ushering us into God's presence. Likewise, spiritual resurrection happens immediately. There may be a process whereby you learn more about Christ and learn more about the Gospel. Uh, it may be a long process. It may be an immediate process. Uh, the process that God used to draw me to Himself was long enough that I didn't know exactly when I became a Christian. I can point to the few months there that, uh, that my life was so intense. Uh, I can point to other people who I saw become Christians, experience uh, spiritual life right in front of me. Um, so it may be a process, but that process has a point in time where it becomes where you pass from, from death to spiritual life. Uh, and that is when Christ draws you to Himself and at that moment He gives you a, you a full and complete salvation. You can't be half saved or mostly saved. It is a full and complete salvation that brings with it a full complete and eternal life. Jesus says in verse 21, So also the Son gives life to whom He will. You can peek down at verse 24 real quickly. Don't stay there too long because I, I want to end on verse 24. But He says, Whoever believes, here's my word, believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but is passed from death to life. It is a real life that we receive. And you'll have the fruits of this new life suddenly blossoming up in your soul. You'll have a new appetite for holiness, a new distaste for unrighteousness, a new love for others that is more deeper. It's more deeper. That doesn't sound right. That is deeper and that is truly self-giving. Oh, I hope that you do marvel at the gift of grace that Christ has given you in His salvation. Remember, the Holy Spirit not only wants us to marvel at the Son, but He also wants us to honor Him. Verses 22 and 23. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Why? Verse 23, a purpose statement, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Christ, this passage is saying, is the judge of all the universe. And on that great and glorious day, when all people, great and small, will be standing before Him, all of us will be standing before Him. In that great crowd, there will be world leaders, Churchill, Stalin, Hitler. Um, and we could go on and on. But in that great crowd, everyone, great and small, all of us, will be there before the judgment seat of Christ. 
Matthew 25 says that He is going to separate the peoples. The sheep on His right, the goats on His left. Sorry. No implications here. Um, But uh, Christ will judge our souls. Don't you think it would be wise to honor Him? Outside the church, it is so it is oh so common to see Christ treated with such dishonor. His name is used in vain. His name is being banned more and more from the pub, from public life, and his people are being persecuted throughout the world. But not only outside the church, inside the church, people who call themselves Christians presume upon him and upon his grace while others treat Him as a last resort rather than their first and only Savior. Do you honor the Lord Jesus Christ? You will stand before Him one day. He is not only judge on that great day, He is a judge of heaven and earth right now. How does Psalm 2 put it? Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in the way. It's easy for us to think of others who are dishonoring him. But what about the ways that we dishonor him? Are you guilty of selective obedience? Where you've decided for yourself how much obedience that you're going to give Jesus or which commands that you are going to keep or break. Are you guilty of lazy obedience where you kind of float along in the Christian life and make sure you don't do anything real bad? Are you guilty of 90% obedience? This is where you do many things for God with great zeal. But then you get to that point where, well, I don't know that God's really calling me to to go that far. Um, And somehow you manage to overlook His commandments. On that great day of judgment, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. Before I move on to my last point, listen, simply listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, so that each one, each one of us, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So I ask again, are you honoring the Lord Jesus? My last point comes from verse 24. Jesus deserves our honor, not only because he is the judge, but also because he's the one who saves us from judgment. Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Do you want to escape judgment? Jesus lays out the escape plan as clearly here in this verse as anywhere else I've ever seen it in Scripture. First of all, he says, and just look at the verse. First of all, he says, whoever hears my word. This is what you're doing right now. You've heard it read. 
Now you're hearing it preached, however weekly. Um, W-E-A-K-L-Y. And hopefully W-E-E-K-L-Y. I should stick to my notes. Because <laughs> um, I'll end up down a hole. Anyway, this is what you're doing now. You're hearing God's Word. You have heard it read. You have heard it proclaimed. Unless you've been sleeping through the service, you've met the first requirement for escaping judgment. The second requirement is right here. And believes Him who sent me has eternal life. That's the requirement. Do you believe Him who sent Christ? Do you believe the Father? Normally we think of believing Christ, but because Jesus, because in His his audience, He wanted to link His Word that He was speaking to the work of the Father, and vice versa. He, uh, he put the emphasis of belief on the Father. And because there is this reciprocal um, where the Father is working, the Son is working, the Spirit is working, Faith in the triune God is saving faith. And look what happens when you believe Him who sent Christ. At that moment, you have eternal life. And I had this in all caps, bold letters in my notes. And the reason I have that is because I want to emphasize it. It's not that you will receive eternal life when you die. No, at the moment that you believe, you receive eternal life. If you believe, eternal life is your present possession. I have a friend that tells me every time he sees me, Pastor, you'd be a better preacher if you got off that assurance of salvation stuff. It's here in the Scriptures. It is undeniably here in the Scriptures. You've got to butcher the grammar of the Greek, the, the, the original, in order to get away from it. You believe Him who sent me, you have eternal life now. Not only that, the second sentence here, you, you do not come into judgment. And, re- and, and that is a present reality for you. Why is that a present reality? Because Christ came into judgment for you. He suffered in your place. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And because He has risen from the dead and we are in Him, we have passed from death to life. Gone a little long, um, but I had a conclusion that I wanted to share with you that I um, I experienced this morning. So I took out my old conclusion and wrote a new one. And I really not I didn't write it. I'm just going to tell you what happened. I have told you before over the years that I have I think only one irrational fear. I do not like snakes. And this morning, this something happened that I, I get it, it had to be the Lord. And so I thought, well, maybe it will be helpful to someone. 
I got up and got in the shower this morning. And as I'm showering, I've got soap in my eyes. I feel something on my foot. And I'm trying to get the soap out of my eyes, and I look, and there's a snake that has crawled on my foot. <laughs> and, and I screamed like a girl. <laughs> it's called Mandy. And Mandy came in there, and um, she got me a shoe uh, that I used to to uh, kill thoroughly that snake. It was it was just a little snake. Yeah. You know, if you know the, what's that fear factor show? You know, I, I'd lie in the, the the vat of roaches and and uh, lizards and all that other stuff. But for whatever reason, I have this, this snakes. I just don't like them. And we weren't going to tell our children um, because that means that they will all be um, crowded in our bed tonight. But I've been meditating on this passage. You know, the last thing I went, I did, last thing I do on Saturday night before I go to bed is, is I read over the pass, over the sermon, read over the sermon. And the only thing that really brought me comfort, because I was, I was seeing snakes in every little um, shadow. Even after I got to the church, I was seeing snakes. And what brought me comfort was. I have eternal life now. I have passed from death to life. I will not come into judgment because Christ has taken judgment for me. I can face anything because Christ has saved my soul. Not only that, because He has saved my soul, I know that I can be more than a conqueror. When temptation comes, when hardship comes, when disappointment comes, I have passed from death to life. And so I have a snake that crawled on my foot. But I have eternal life in Christ Jesus my Lord. And so do all of you who trust in Christ, who hear His Word and believe Him who sent Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we live in a very broken world with very broken bodies, with sinful souls. I I was um, very empathetic toward the... Um, young children that as I was talking to them about the temptations that they will face to go along with the crowd. Lord, I know how powerful that temptation is because the power of sin that is within us, even though it has been broken, uh, that Christ um, has crucified sin in us by His death on the cross and by His resurrection. Yet that... The sin is like a, a dead corpse in our soul. And the, the, the awful stench um, wafts up through our, our souls and, and results in us doing things that displease You. But, oh Lord, it is so good to know that Christ 
has saved us completely. And that in Him, we have eternal life presently. That we will not come into judgment. That we have already passed from death to life. Lord, as we as we experience our brokenness, as we experience our disappointments, our pains, our ongoing weaknesses, remind us, O oh Lord, that in Christ we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.